This is recording number 11056 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, June 23, 2013. This is the sixth message in a series titled, His. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, Love in Your Heart. going to continue this study that we began a few weeks ago. This is actually the sixth message in that series called His, which I do not know how to describe very well. The title of each message simply begins with His. And uh, although we've talked about a number of things, in the last couple of weeks we've talked about His Word on, on uh, your lips, His power in your hands, and today we're going to be talking about His love in your heart. And I've asked you to turn to 1 Corinthians 13, which is a very familiar uh, passage to many of us. Uh, don't feel bad if this is the first time you've encountered it. I don't mean it that way. I just mean that it's often used in greeting cards and uh, other kinds of things. So you may have encountered this passage before that talks about love. But before we read it, uh, let me set the stage. So the Apostle Paul, writing to the Christians in the city of Corinth, um, is... He's waded into a situation where the church appears to have gotten carried away with one of the gifts of the Spirit, the gift of tongues, above others. And so Paul is, among other things, speaking into that uh, disorder and trying to bring uh, understanding and, and, shall we say, order to that a bit of a chaotic situation, not by diminishing the value of the gift of tongues. In fact, he says, look, I speak in tongues more than you all. So it wasn't that he was just, uh, you know, tr- wanting them to set that aside, but wanting them to understand that there are nine gifts of the Spirit, not just one, and that in terms of how the church, when we gather together, is benefited, the gift of prophecy probably has more, uh, actually, I inserted the word probably, he didn't say, he didn't use the word probably, he said it has more value, unless the gift of tongues is also accompanied by the gift of interpretation of tongues. But the point is, <clears throat> Paul was trying to bring a more rounded, well-rounded uh, understanding to the people of how the gifts of the Spirit operate. In chapter 12, he describes the gifts of the Holy Spirit and, and um, the importance that they play and how they're distributed. And then in chapter 14, he talks more specifically about how the, these gifts of the Spirit are to be uh, used and managed within the context of the church. And right smack dab in the middle between chapter 12 and chapter 14, the description of the gifts of the Spirit and then how they operate, chapter 13, where he talks about love. And it's interesting how that gets uh, the juxtaposition of that. Because he, we're going to read that he's, where he says that all this stuff about you know, spiritual gifts, gifts of the Spirit, all that, really has to have its roots in love. Otherwise, they're just, they're not, uh, I I don't want to give away what we're going to read, but he says, otherwise, they're just displays of power. And we talked last week about how God's power is not only forceful, but it's also tender, and you can't uncouple those two things when it comes to God's God's power. And so 
The displays of God's power through my life have to be sourced in his love. So let's begin reading at verse 1, chapter 13, 1 Corinthians. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy, he hasn't really spoken about prophecy yet, but he's going to in the next chapter and talk about how important it is. But he says, if I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries that, and uh, all knowledge, that's, he's talking about the gift of word of knowledge and word of wisdom. And though I have all faith, that's another gift of the Spirit, so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. It's interesting because... Sometimes people want to, uh, they want to think about the gifts of the Holy Spirit as though they were some sort of badge, you know. I am a prophet. I am a healing evangelist. I have, you know, whatever. But he says, look, if you, <laughs> if you don't have love, if I don't have love, I am nothing. Verse 3, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. You know, Bill Gates, uh, if not the richest, one of the richest men in the world, uh, is planning to give away his fortune before he dies. And God bless him for that. I think that's fantastic, you know. And he doesn't want to keep any of it. He doesn't even want to keep it for his kids. He wants to bless the world through it. Thank God for that. But it says here, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, in other words, even if I sacrifice my health and there's lot and well-being, there's lots of people who bless them are sacrificing themselves in various ways for worthy and good causes. But if I don't have love, it profits me nothing. If Bill Gates's actions in Dispensing his great wealth for good in the world um, is not motivated out of love. Others may be profited, but there's no profit to him. Verse 4. Love suffers long. Now this word love that, you, that we just read there um, is the word agape. There are several words in the Greek language that can be translated by the English word love. But the New Testament writers took this word agape and decided, I mean, actually it wasn't they who decided this, it was the Holy Spirit because it's across all of the books of the New Testament. The Holy Spirit decided to grab that Greek word and use it exclusively in the New Testament to describe the kind of love that God has, which is a whole lot different than the kind of love that human beings have. And so it says here, agape, or the kind of love that God has, suffers long or is patient. Have you ever wondered if you've exhausted God's patience? You ever prayed this prayer, dear God, this is, I promise, this is the last time, right? <laughs> the Bible says that God's love is patient. It suffers long, and it doesn't tell us how long, because there's no limit to it. Remember Peter, he came to Jesus and says, how many times should I forgive this, this joker? Seven times? And Jesus said, 
Peter, not seven times, 70 times seven. You've heard me say this before, and I know that Peter did not whip out his calculator to figure out how many times that was. Jesus meant it's infinite. He might as well have said that. Love, the kind of love that God has, agape, suffers long and is kind. Dear one, even if you could, even if it were possible, and it is not, But even if it were possible for you to exhaust the patience of the love of God, he would still be kind. Love doesn't envy. The kind of love that God has doesn't doesn't envy. You know, a lot of the times what a lot of the times what passes for for love from human beings is really envy because we're trying to get something. I want your friendship. I want your approval. I want, you see, I want something you have. And so my demonstration of quote, quote, love is to get something. God's kind of love has none of that subterfuges, none of that. It's not colored in any way by any of, there's no envy in it. He doesn't need anything or want anything from us. We, 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 that's a concept we as human beings almost can't comprehend. That there isn't an agenda with God's love. But there's not. Love does not parade itself. It doesn't have to run around telling us how much, <laughs> how much it loves us. You know, you, people who, I don't know, all of, I'm, not, I'm not pointing any fingers you might as well, you know, this is a description of my failings as a human being as much as anyone's. When I am what I think particularly loving towards somebody, I'd like others to know that, right? <laughs> if I could, I'd go on parade. I'm loving today. Did you notice how loving I was today? Especially with my wife. Dear, did you notice how loving I was to you today, right? No, it, do- it doesn't do that. It's not puffed up or arrogant. It doesn't behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked. You know, there are some translations that stick the word easily in there. Is not easily provoked. That's not in the original. <laughs> you know, it's put in there to kind of soften the blow. <laughs> Love doesn't get ticked off. Love is not provoked. So many people think that God is mad at them. Maybe you do today. Can I tell you that God in heaven is not angry with you? God's wrath against sin was taken out on one person. His name is Jesus. And it's all gone. Doesn't, it's not provoked, thinks no evil. Have you ever rejoiced when something bad happens to somebody else? Now, don't raise your hand because that, that probably wouldn't, wouldn't be a good thing. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things. And that's not, um, you know, that doesn't mean do, uh, being a doormat. Sometimes people think that if they're really loving, they just let everybody walk over them. Now, the reason they do that is, though, is not noble. The reason they do that is because something's wrong. 
something's messed up inside of them that they think they have to, that they're, they're not worth anything but to be a doormat or they enjoy the self-pity that results when people step on them. Either way, it's messed up. When it says that love bears all things, it's not that. It's that the strength of who God is comes in and shoulders my burdens. Without complaint, without self-pity, without me walking over him, it's his act of love towards me that he shoulders my cares and my concerns. Because he loves me, bears all things, believes all things. He believes in you, dear one, more than you believe in yourself. One of the things that we're trying to do in this church is believe in you more than you believe in yourself. And it's hard sometimes. <laughs> it's because we're all human beings. But we want to represent that part of God's love along with the rest of it. He believes in you and me. He has trusted you and me with his gospel and with his name. There are times I know, it, well, I, I'm just kidding. I, this is probably not true. But I wonder, there are times I wonder if God wants to rescind his trust in me. At, because I am on record as being a Christian. And then, I'm driving him down the road breaking the speed limit. Or I say something nasty to somebody. No, but, but he, he believes in me more than I believe in myself. Hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. Let's talk about his love in your heart. And the reason that I, I really wanted to read that up front, and we're going to come back to it in a minute, the reason I wanted to read that up front was not to make you all feel bad. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I read that and I go, oh, Dear God, I can't do that. I cannot do that. And the truth is, the Lord has made it very clear that none of us can without him. And that's where we're headed today. Because he can make that possible. But let's first talk about the fact that this, is, this, uh, this thing about loving, is it, we are commanded to do so. In verse 13, of, or, uh, verse 13 of chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, it says, Now abide faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And, you know, faith is a good thing. It says the, Bible, the Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God. Hope is a good thing, that joyful expectation that what God has said he's going to do. But it says that love is the greatest. And the reason is because the Bible says God is love. Now, it's not all he is. There is no one word that can capture all that God is. But he is certainly that. And the Bible says so. And so if he is himself characterized by the word love, certainly that rises to the top, right? We are commanded to love. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 40, you don't have to turn there, but here's the story. The, the, the uh, Pharisees and the Sadducees, two religious uh, groups, uh, groups of religious leaders, were attempting to try to trip Jesus up so that the crowds would turn against him. So they kept p 
peppering him with questions that they thought he would stumble over or say something that would tick people off. And he was just knocking them out of the park. You know, they kept serving up these what they thought were fast balls and he's just knocking them out of the park. So <clears throat> they send up this, this uh, attorney, this legal guy, this lawyer, and he thinks he's got it now. He asks Jesus, okay, Jesus, what is the greatest of the Ten Commandments? Now, this was a debate that was raging among the religious people, the Jewish people, for ages. It's funny how we, we end up arguing about stuff that doesn't matter. Which one of the Ten Commandments is most important? Come on, really? Does that matter? And yet, they're fighting about it. And so he figures that if he can get Jesus to pick one, he's going to turn 90% of the people against him, right? Because everybody's got an opinion. Which of the Ten Commandments is the, the greatest? And so Jesus answers so masterfully. He says, none of them. <laughs> he says, here's the greatest commandment. First and most important, and he takes, he, he doesn't pull from the Ten Commandments, he pulls from Deuteronomy, and he says, he says that you'll love God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And then, he says, and by the way, the second one is like to it, it comes from the book of Leviticus. He says that uh, you love your neighbor as yourself. And really, he was summarizing the Ten Commandments because the Ten Commandments, if you look at them, the first few are about loving God. The last bunch is about loving people. So he answered the question in a, such a masterful way, just silenced all of this. But I want you to notice that he didn't let us off the hook. These are commands. We are commanded to love, to love God and we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. And by the way, we've been studying this in our Men's Institute. That, that uh, phrase, love your neighbor as yourself, is in the Bible seven times. I imagine if God is going to repeat himself that many times, there's probably a point to it, a reason for it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Because God is saying that as you come to know my love, as it works its wonders in your life, you'll find yourself being able to love your neighbors. And if you try to do it out of any other motivation, you're going to fail. But I want you to see, we are commanded to love. And the Bible tells us that we're commanded to love God. I've already said that. We're commanded to love our family. In Ephesians chapter 5, it says, Husbands, how many husbands we have in here today? Listen up. Some of you didn't want to raise your hand because you know what's coming. Right? <laughs> Ephesians 5.25, love your Husbands, love your wife like Christ loves the church. In Titus, it says, wives or mothers, love your kids. You know, the Bible is clear. We're supposed to love our families. We're also supposed to love, the, love God's family. The people of God, those that you and I will be spending eternity with. Can you imagine spending eternity with someone that you don't get along with? Yikes, that would be the other place, right? <laughs> We're supposed to love God's family. We're supposed to love our neighbors. Uh, and that doesn't mean just the person that lives next door to you. It certainly does. But it includes a lot more than that. The others that surround your life. And then get this. We're supposed to love our enemies. <laughs> yeah, I heard that. In Matthew chapter 5. 
verse 43, it says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Come on. <laughs> really? Oh, my goodness. We are, this is not a suggestion. This is a command from our Savior, Jesus Christ. We are commanded to love our enemies. So that brings us back to the thing I started with. I can't do this. I cannot do this. But dear one, the good news is that we not only have been commanded to love, but we've been gifted to love. We've been gifted for love. First John chapter 4, let's turn there. First John, a little tiny book way in the back of your New Testament. First John chapter 4. Beginning at verse 7. First John 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation or the remedy for our sins. You know, in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says that even while we were still sinners, even when you didn't give a rip about Jesus, who was dying for you on the cross. Even while we were still sinners, God was demonstrating his love toward us in sending Jesus to the cross. That love that God has for you, dear one, is transformative. It will change you. It cannot but change you. And as that love of God begins to change you, it makes it possible for you to love other people. We are gifted for love with his example. Not only that, oh, well, Jesus loved this way, so I will. But we've been, we've been uh, gifted for love by his example in that he has loved me. When I understand something, and you can't grasp it all, but if I understand something, if I have experienced something of the love of God, I can't help but relate to you differently. Because I am freed from having to prove myself, I am freed from, having, from the guilt, the shame, I don't need anything else from anybody, I have been loved by the Most High. It changes you. Now, when you're driving down the road and somebody goes roaring by and flips you off, <laughs> we've all had that happen, right? What's the first thing? He's like, <clears throat> no. That's the guy I used to be. I've been loved by God. 
bless you, bless you, right? It changes you. You, you, you can't help it. And not only have we been gifted for love by his example, but by his spirit. In Romans chapter 5, verse 5, it says, Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And in Galatians chapter 5, it says that love is a fruit of the Spirit, that the Holy Spirit that resides in me is starting to bear fruit. It doesn't happen all at once, but it's starting to bear fruit. You can look them up. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Nine fruit of the Spirit, and love is one of them. Now, I have an interesting uh, vantage point in most of your lives. You know, you are so up close and personal with yourself, you don't often get to see the trajectory, the arc of God's development in your life. It's like it's hard to see the forest for the trees. But one of the, really probably the only thing that keeps me in the pastoral saddle, so to speak, is the, the pleasure, the sheer delight of watching how God is transforming you. I wouldn't trade that for anything. And his love, his joy, his peace, these things are starting to erupt out of your life uncontrollably, unbidden by you. You know, the lemon tree in your yard doesn't have to work at producing fruit. It just does. Because that's, it can't help itself. When it's got roots in the right soil and it's fed and watered, it just produces fruit. And as the Holy Spirit is at work in your life, you cannot help but produce, among other things, love. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 13. Verse 4 again. These, these descriptions of what God's love is like. And I already told you that this word, agape, the New Testament writers use it exclusively to describe the kind of love that God has. So it would not do violence to the text at all if I inserted the name of Jesus in there instead. Let's try it. Jesus suffers long. Does that fit? Jesus suffers long and is kind. Jesus does not envy. Jesus does not parade himself, is not puffed up. Jesus does not behave rudely, does not seek his own, is not provoked, thinks no evil. Jesus does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Jesus bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Jesus never fails. It fits like a glove, doesn't it? Now let's try this. Randy suffered. I'll oh, give it up. Forget it. It can't, it can't be done, right? But I've been loved by God. So have you. The Holy Spirit has taken residence in my life. And 
one day when I stand before God, I want my name to fit here.